right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Offbeat Podcast, man. We're super excited today. Today we have uh, an awesome, awesome episode. Right, Aaron? That's right. Let's go. Yeah, man. And we're super excited, man. We Today we have a special guest here, and uh, it's my honor to be able to have him here with us. Ruben, a.k.a. Humble Beast. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you for, for, for agreeing to come, man. And uh, I I met you, you know, a uh, few months ago uh, since I started training there with uh, with another trainer there with Anthony uh, there at Self Made Redlands, right? Right. And uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, man? Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Ruben Valverde, um, personal trainer at Self Made um, from Colton. All right. C-Town. <laughs> and... Um, I don't know, man, where do I begin? You know, grew up there in Colton. You know, it was a different, different vibe, different atmosphere. We were just talking about yeah. this earlier. Yeah. You know, you know, when you're from Colton, you're always from Colton and it's a different mentality. Um, but going in high school there, it really taught me a lot, you know, the different type of people and, and, and the people you're around and the community itself. You know, everybody's has everybody's back. Um, you know, I graduated in 99 and after that I went to the military. So Colton High, you went to Colton High School, cool, man. Colton High School. Yeah, my wife went to Colton High School, and and what you, you just said right now, it's so true. I I didn't grow up here in, in 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 California. I was born here in California, but I actually grew up in Vegas, and I didn't come here to the age of eighteen. But I never knew how tight knitted Colton was until we started to put our kids in sports. Yeah. And that's when we really started to see, like, dang, man, like Colton. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, so you said you went to military. Yeah, uh, what was that? Was what military did you join? So, so I wanted to be a firefighter. Okay, and I was part of the fire, um, the fire explorers with Colton. Okay, and uh, I was planning on go to school and everything like that. But at the time, I didn't want to go to college or anything like that. Yeah, and my dad, he noticed I was kind of lagging. He was like, "Man." He's like, if you're not going to go to school, you need to go to the military because he's prior army. Right. And um, he's the one who was like, if you go, though, you need to talk to the Air Force. And at first I didn't want to didn't even want to think about it or consider it. But then after a while, I was just like, you know what? I think I want to go do it. So I went to go try to be a firefighter in the Air Force. And um, they wouldn't let me because I'm colorblind. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so all your, so you were you color, you knew you were colorblind? Yeah. So um, I don't know if. You guys remember being a kid, but in elementary, they used to do colorblind tests. Okay. And, um, you know, that's the way I found out because when I was younger, you know, the little crayons or whatever, I yeah. wouldn't be able to know what color it was unless it had the writing on it. Oh. So if it was, if it didn't have the paper on it, I wouldn't know what color it was. Oh, wow. Dang. Until they finally did the test and they were like, yeah, colorblind. Now, when you were a kid, now, did you not know, like, no. that color, like, you could not, you thought that was normal or? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, they would say blue or whatever. I'd grab a crown and it'd be purple. And they're like, that's purple. And I think a lot of people are like, man, is this guy dumb or what? Like, you know, being a kid, you know, kids yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, and it wasn't until they really did that test and they, they told me. But also, all my uncles, they're all colorblind. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I have one who's actually colorblind. He only sees black and gray. Oh, dang. So, so, it's, so it's basically genetics. Genetics. So it's carried in the female gene. So my mom was a carrier of it. So I am and then my two brothers, they're colorblind as well. And we have colored eyes, so we can't even tell. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. I have a real quick question. Like, so is there like different shades of colorblind? Like, yeah, so they have I, different. Because I don't really know a lot about that. They right. have different types of colorblindness. 
um, for mine, mine's kind of bad. Like, like I, I would guess this is green, but it could be brown. Um, so browns and greens look the same, red and brown, uh, green and yellows. Um, purple's the only color I don't know. Like, I, I could kind of guess, but like a Laker uniform, it looks like yellow and blue. That's crazy. Yeah, so I don't know purple, or it could look like a shade of pink. So sometimes I could kind of guess what colors are, but yeah, it's, I, I mean, I've gotten by and, yeah. and my, my wife, I'll get dressed and she was like, babe, you know, you don't match, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's gotta be, that's gotta be horrible right there, man. That's crazy though, man. So, so you grew up, you know, having this and then now you, you're here. How old were you when you, when you try to go into the military? Uh, when you try to 18, 18, I took a year out of high school when, and, uh, you know, got a really good score in, in was prepared to be a firefighter, but when I yeah. got to MEPS, the place where you got to go, you know, do all your testing and stuff, yeah. uh, I got a really great score and I wanted to be a firefighter. They're like, nope, you can't, you're colorblind. So I started naming off all these different jobs. They're like, nope. So my list of jobs went from anything I wanted to being colorblind to just a few things. And I was so upset. And I was just like, give me whatever is the shortest school, like whatever. And uh, they were like, well, we do have something that's called computer technology or something like that. And the school was a year long. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's a year long school. Just give me the shortest one. But I don't, I realize now, like, man, I could have been making 150,000 plus with this computer <laughs> network. Computer network. I don't know What year was that? And 2000. 2000. Yeah. That, and, that was, and that's a career too, man. That I, I, I met a few of those guys like that. Mm -hmm. They do computer networking and they move around different parts of the country because mm -hmm. they can do that job remotely. Yep. That's what's crazy about it, man. That's probably like one of the 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 one of the like prolific yeah place to be in maybe. And at the time, I was I didn't know much about computers. I knew how to get onto the internet. You know the slow dial up. Yeah, yeah. little dial up. Oh, that's cool. And so when they brought it up, I was like, I don't know anything about computers. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So what did you end up doing? I ended up doing it's called air transportation. So what it was was basically just like a military airport. Um, we loaded planes and passengers, but, um, and, and this was for, and I'm sorry, this was for the air force too, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For the air force. And, um, after basic, I got put into my job, but I got, I got kind of, um, at the time I said lucky, but it was blessed because I got into a job that it was a mobility job. So I got to travel the world. How you were saying you were traveling and nice. you know, I got to travel the world for free and getting paid for it. Nice. Um, nice. so for the seven years I was in. I traveled probably about four years total. That's dope, yes. man. And what what countries did you, were you able to visit? I've been on every continent other than Antarctica and Australia. That's dope. And just throughout the states, throughout you know Asia and Africa, mm -hmm. everywhere. So it's it's pretty awesome to see when you yeah, been able to travel in Antarctica or Africa. Uh, so oh, maybe one day. Yeah. So we in you know just being accustomed to all these different places, yeah. you get to learn a lot and how people yeah. are and how other countries are. Yeah. And how did that change? How did that did that change your perspective at all? Growing up here in 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 Colton, growing up, you know, because Colton's considered a small town, and then being exposed to that, did that change anything for you? Yeah, definitely, because you think sometimes when we're in poverty here is nothing like in uh, some of these other countries. They're really poverty stricken, and I think. Being from here, we take advantage of a lot of the things that a lot of countries don't have because we. Some of these countries have gone to you know you're basically using the restroom in the a dirt hole and yeah and they're living in huts and it's just to be able to witness that and see that you really see and and appreciate what you have here even if you're low income or or 
living in poverty. Yeah. And still so much more than what other people have. And that's interesting because you're what, sub maybe like around 18 through 24, 20, and around that time, technology hasn't really been quite developed. The economy is a whole lot different. So we're looking at 2004, I was traveling at the same time. And I remember going to different countries like India and we go where places where they never seen no other color of their skin. And so it's been a, it's been quite like a shock among mm -hmm. old cultures, right? And so that definitely um, a life lesson, right? Definitely. You're learning, you're like, whoa, this is crazy. But I have a question. And when you experience all that and coming back, well, did you find yourself in culture shock returning back home in that? Or did you feel like, oh man, like this was kind of hard to process what I did went through. Now I'm here. Um, I think more on the standpoint of the war. Okay. And that's more where it was kind of a shock. Um, you know, because going to certain places, I'd only be there for two weeks or a month and then come back. So it wasn't like I was there for a long period of time and then coming back. But I think what it was, was during that time of the war, that's where, um, you know, it really gave me a different perspective. And also, you know, coming back with, um, um, what do you call it? OC? No, not OCD. <laughs> no, PTSD. Yeah, PTSD. Yeah. And um, just realizing, you know, how that has an effect on people yeah. and, and now living with that and, you know, being able to manage it a lot better. But, you know, coming back from all these places, uh, it really, it really makes you observe everything a lot more. Yeah. And how, how did that go for you, man, when you came back and and were you diagnosed with it right away or what, what did you start to feel or experience it? Uh, I actually wasn't diagnosed with it for a while because I didn't know what it was because at that time it still really It still was new, yeah. right? It was still developing psychologically, yeah. right? Yeah, we were talking, it wasn't talked about as much. I mean, you had the people in Vietnam and everything like that, but it wasn't as talked about then as it is now. So it was a couple yeah. years after. And I think because the, the during the Vietnam War, I think they, they covered it up a lot with the drug epidemic, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then... But this time around, because which war was this? This was the um, the Iraqi Freedom War. The Iraqi Freedom War. The um, Afghanistan. So at that time, a lot of, a lot of, because I have a buddy too who, shout out to him, to uh, Weldon Strachan, a.k.a. Will. Um, he was a, he's a combat vet also, man. And, um, you know, and he talks a little bit about that. But like you said, at that time, they weren't really diagnosing people mm -hmm. with that. So what were some of the symptoms? What what was it that you felt coming um, back? A lot of it is just, and I think in general, a lot of guys, like you can't, I can't have my back towards a lot of people. Wherever I sit, I have to sit with my back towards the wall. I'm always getting, when I have like a normal conversation with people in like a restaurant, I can't give that eye to eye contact because I'm constantly looking and observing. So it's sometimes people are like, why isn't he giving me eye contact? You kind of get like a vibe that you're always on edge. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, just having thoughts. Um, but a lot of it was more just what's going on around me. I always had to be aware of that, where things are and, and who's coming up. And so I always kind of looked at people like not with a whole lot of trust, but just always wow. protecting myself and just making sure, you know, I was okay. And, and so now um, being diagnosed with it, um, I actually have a dog that I'm going through service dog training with. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, that's, that's awesome, man. And so when you came back, who, uh, when, were you married yet or anything? No, I was still single. Um, but the one thing in the military, like a lot of, if you ever talk to people in the military, like before I didn't drink, I didn't 
um, do drugs. I, I used to smoke weed in high school, but being in the military, man, it just changed me. I almost, I, at the time, I didn't think I was an alcoholic, but, you know, I drank a lot and, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it puts you out there when you're a young kid and you're going out there on your own. Yeah. You just, you get into everything and, and there's no one to tell you otherwise. And yeah, there's no supervision. Yeah. And yeah. So, and so the drinking, the drugs, the partying, uh, an effect on you, like, how did that impact you? Um, I think for me, you know, growing up, I didn't have a father. Okay. And so, you know, that abandonment and I was just trying to fill that void. And so, you know, using that as my void, I came back and, and once I got out of the military after seven years, um, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take a break, you know, just c collect unemployment. But I think that was the worst decision I could make because it just got into even more drinking and more drugs and, and more women just to fill that void that I, I was missing. And at the time I wasn't a believer. So, you know, I, I didn't know what I was missing. And I was just trying to fill it with these different things, with the alcohol, the drugs, the women, just anything that, that I felt like was going to fulfill me. But yeah. I was still always feeling lonely and empty, you know, just looking for that next fix or next woman or anything like that. So Yeah. And I think a lot of people, uh, I know for myself, that was like one of my plan, plan Bs was like, I, I'm going to go into the military to try to fulfill something that was missing. And, um, you know, it didn't happen for me, you know, but I know for a lot of people, I have a cousin actually, man, that right now that you were talking about the drinking and everything, um, one of my cousin, he, he passed away while he was in the military. Um, he, it wasn't in combat or anything, but um, it was a, a night they were out drinking heavily, heavily, heavily. And, and I think he was, they were in his car. He had like a Ford Mustang at that time or something. And they were speeding and I don't know what happened. They lost control and um, they had no seatbelts. My cousin ended up like flying, like like several feet, several feet away from the car because he just went through the windshield. And, um, but it was for the same reason because he just, you know, he went in there thinking that that was probably gonna change his life, you know, and then he realized, you know, for whatever reason, you know, he kept doing it, but it just got worse. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think the military is great. Yeah. I think um, now that I've been in, because it teaches a lot, a lot of responsibility. Yeah. So I think, I almost think that if a, a kid coming out of high school doesn't go to college or have like a career that's going to last, I think they should do like a 18 month or two year military thing where everybody has to go because it teaches, it teaches you a lot. Yeah. So the military is a good thing. Um, and I enjoyed every bit of it, but it, it did bring about a lot of bad habits that I had. Yeah, I have a question going back because you said something that kind of like it was kind of like a heavy statement, mm -hmm. and so that statement was like being you had a lot of abandonment issues um, up from your father. You didn't have a father. Mm -hmm. Can we go about? Can we go there? Yeah, yeah. So what did that look like growing up? Like, did, was your dad not present, or what? What is what? What did that lifestyle look like? Yeah. So my dad, um, he left when I was three. Okay. And um, it might have even been younger, but just growing up without that dad, I, it was just me and my mom. And my mom, you know, was a struggling mother working multiple jobs. So, you know, not having her around sometimes and, and just, you get to that feeling like, why didn't they want me or yeah. then thoughts. And it, and it created a lot of self doubt, self-esteem problems. Um, and that is still something I think I deal with today. And um, that's why a lot of the things I got into were because of that. 
Yeah, do you have any siblings? Um, I have two siblings, but they were 11 and 14 years younger than I was. Oh, wow. So I was a single child for 11 years. And, you know, all of those years are the, the impactful years on how's this kid going to grow up? What's going to grow up around? And at yeah. that time, um, I was actually, because I was actually born in Colorado. And so growing up in uh, Colorado Springs, we lived in the hood over there and, and just being with my cousins and seeing a lot of stuff through there, you know, a lot of drugs, seeing my uncles partying and alcoholics. And that's what I almost felt like I was going to be. And uh, even though my mom didn't drink and she kind of put that on me, don't drink, don't drink. But I always seen it around me. And that's why I didn't drink for the longest. But then, um, but yeah, it's just always having that wonder, like, why did my dad leave? What was the reason? And, you know, I could hear what my mom told me, but it's almost like, do I really know the real story? Right. And, um, you know, I used to, growing up, I hated my dad. I share the, my middle name is his name and it's Levi. And I used to tell people, I like, I hate this name because I didn't know. I thought he just left and didn't want me. And, um, and so I hated him for years and years. And it wasn't until I was 15 where one day I was coming back from high school and my mom got off the phone and she goes, um, Hey, I, I have something to tell you. The first thing that came out of my mouth, I go, my dad's dead. She looks at me like, yeah, that was your grandma. She was just calling me to say he passed away. And I don't know, it was just the first thing that came out of my mind. Like my mouth, just, he's dead. Did you ask him, you hear that news? Um, really nothing. Because I didn't know him. I didn't have anything to do with him. So it was just like, whatever. Because she, I guess my grandmother had asked my mom if they could fly me out to go to the funeral. And she'd asked me, I was like, no, I don't, why am I going to go? You know, he had nothing to do with me. You didn't have even like a little bit of curiosity? Mm. One or nothing. And they said, no. just a full on rage. Yeah. Because yeah. The, the fact that he laughed. Yeah. And so the, he laughed, do you know the story when he laughed or? So I guess, cause he was a bad alcoholic too. Okay. And, and just the way he treated my mom, I guess my mom just took me and didn't want him to be around me being like that. But also that's the thing, like, you know, I don't know the true story. Right. She could be saying one thing, but maybe he, maybe he was trying to see me and my mom just kept me away. Yeah. And so that's something that, you know, has always worried. And I've talked to her about it and, you know, she still sticks with her story. Yeah. But it's something that like, okay, what is the truth? Right. And, um, you know, it took me years and years to forgive my father. And it wasn't until I became a believer wow. and, um, because when he passed away, he passed away from uh, a tree falling on him. A tree, because I guess he was a lumberjack or something like that. A tree fell on him and he was um, paralyzed for a couple of years. And through the complications, he ended up dying. And then when he died, I ended up finding out I had five brothers and sisters. And, um, and have you met any of the, mm, those siblings? No. So I don't even know where they're at. I think um, some might have been in Colorado or... Um, like uh, Nebraska or something, but yeah. uh, do you have like an association or no no association with that? Like, I'm like no, that's bad. are you not interested in that? I have, but I don't even know where to begin. Where to begin? Like, yeah. I try to Google his name and see if anything pops up, and and I haven't been able to find yeah. anything. So it's like, so I think it's been one. There's one right like a year under under me, and then so like you growing up in this like. And this, what this type of like all these emotional, it's almost like trauma. And then, mm -hmm. like, you know what I mean? Like, you're just, you have this um, emotional rage. Um, did it always feel like you're suspicious of everyone? Yeah. Growing up? Like, you were always suspicious. Like, who are 
Yeah. So it was always like, I couldn't, I could never open up to anybody because I didn't have that trust because, okay, are you going to leave or, or how am I going to know to trust you to have my back? And so, um, even to this day, even my wife, she tells me, she was like, how come you can't open up to me? Wow. I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's a lifelong trauma that I'm trying to break out of it, but it's yeah. hard for me to open up even with my best friends or any other family. Like I always stay guarded and keep stuff. Eating. Yeah. Yeah, there's like we you, like you learn to it, it's a defense mechanism. It's a defense mechanism, and I can relate to that so much because you know it. You have that feeling, you know. It, it, I'd rather be safe than be hurt. Mm-hmm. You know because it. it yeah it kind of you know and I I don't know if you can relate to that like where where it's like man you know what like I'd rather be in control. Mm-hmm. You know it's it's like a form of control. Yeah, even with relationships, past relationships, anytime I'd get close to being that boyfriend, girlfriend, I'd do something to mess it up to get it away so that we, we wouldn't get that close to where yeah. I wouldn't have to open it's up. It's like sabotage. Mm-hmm. Self-sabotage. Self-sabotage, yeah. yeah. We, talked, <laughs> we talked about that. Yes. And that's, that's and that actual thing I did. Yeah. I was like, yeah. like you, because it's like you're, you're scared. Mm-hmm. You're afraid because it's it just, why go through all that? Mm-hmm. And you just, just, if you're going to, if, if anybody's going to get hurt, I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah. Is that open? Yeah, yeah, either that or I didn't want to hurt the other person in. So I would just do something so that way I wouldn't talk to him or I just would yeah. ghost him or whatever they call him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's it's crazy. We were just having a conversation about that with my wife on the we're we're driving out to Vegas and we're just we're just talking and we're talking about that. And and um but I love I love how we're talking about this right now because it always stems from something, mm-hmm. and and the way you're identifying where it stemmed from, you know that that, you know I always say uh, daddy issues. We always relate daddy issues to just women. Mm-hmm. You know we always say oh she's got daddy issues, and it's always a reference towards women. But in all reality, man, you know as men we also deal mm-hmm. with daddy issues. You know and. Uh, depending, you know, my father, he was, although he was present, but we had a different type of relationship, you know, your dad, he wasn't present. And so because of that, you know, you, you had to deal with that. You had to kind of, in other words, you had to find your own way of manhood. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think even for people that did have their dads that weren't present, I think that would be kind of harder because you have somebody who's physically there, but they're not there. Either they're working a lot or they're just out and about. And it's like, I'd almost not want that kind of um, relationship other than the one that I had. Because yeah. I think that would be much harder knowing that you have a father figure there. Do you have any kids? No. no. We don't have any kids, no. Okay. How yeah. long have you been married for? Um, five years. Okay. Five years. Yeah. Nice. Cool. yeah, so what's crazy is, um, you know, her not having any kids and me not having any kids and being from Colton, you know, everybody has kids. <laughs> <laughs> and even at the time when I was in high school, I think we had the highest teenage raid they even have a class where they it was a daycare for all the same yeah no man that's um that's awesome that you're you're opening up about that because i think that again man it's having these type of conversations it really the purpose of it is to really encourage people to really find yeah. the roots of all these things of these issues that that people go through you know and um what kept you growing up? What kept you out of trouble though? Like, or did you get into a lot of trouble? Um, no, that's one thing. There was a lot of stuff I should have gotten in trouble for, yet I never got in trouble for anything. You know, and then at the time, once again, always thinking, man, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I didn't, you know, get DUIs or get thrown in jail and all these other stuff that I was doing. You know, I was stealing 
um, at a young age, I remember one time in third grade, we hopped a fence of a, a lawnmower company, installed like eight weed whackers and all kinds of blowers and sold them to my friends, sold them to my friend's uncle for a hundred bucks. And just going on that, like I, I should have been locked up. And, and at the time, once again, I was just thinking, I'm lucky, I'm lucky. But now, you know, being a believer and knowing that that was a covering, I was blessed. Yeah. And, um, you know, God was watching out for me because it was a plan and a purpose. And, yeah. you know, me just being that young, dumb kid and doing all these crazy things, like I'm thankful that I didn't end up um, a lot worse. Yeah. So now, okay, so what do you do for a living? Like, So right now, I'm a personal trainer. Okay. Yeah, personal trainer. And, um, you know, since I got out of the military, I've done all kinds of things. I worked in a warehouse. I've been a real estate agent. I was a cosmetologist. I, Let's yeah, go. So what kind of, what, and, what, and cosmetology, doing what? Doing women's hair. Oh, what? Yeah. Dang, so you know how to do that. Yeah. Well, I don't know as much anymore, but another thing with that, you know, because I just wanted to try all these things. Like, what's my purpose? What am I here for? And I just yeah. wanted to try all these different things. And at the time, you know, women's hair, they make money. They, yeah. you know, it could be anywhere from three to $500 a cut and everything. And, but for me, um, after going into it, you know, I realized it was hard to build clientele because once again, I'm colorblind. How am I gonna do a woman's hair if they want colors? <laughs> Can you do, can you do purple? It turns out like <laughs> and blue. Yeah. So, um, so when I did that, it was hard for me to get clientele cause I was able to cut and style and everything, but I couldn't do color. Yeah. And so next time, yeah. yeah. So that's after I did that, I got into real estate. Um, I was, you know, at the time I was like, man, real estate's booming. I could make some money. But then I realized, man, I don't like all that paperwork. And <laughs> you know, you see all these shows and they make it seem so easy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> But they don't realize all the doors you have to knock and all the calls you're doing and all the paperwork. And I was just like, man, man I don't think this is for me. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, me working out, I've, it's been one of my passions ever since I got to the military. And, and I was like, you know what, let me give this a try. And because uh, I had trained people, you know, just in the gym while I'd be in there. But I realized, man, this is my calling. This is my gift. And um, I started at a company in 2018 it was somewhere near to where your church is at um and I was there for a couple of years and I fell in love with it and I just realized you know I'm here to help people and I think that was my way of helping people to get to where they want because you know people get into working out for so many different things mm -hmm. and it could be self-esteem issues it could and and they come in for that and just be able to help them not only physically but mentally and more important spiritually and it's been such a blessing. So being able to do that and now being at uh, the gym I'm at now, um, you know, it's self-made, but I always say it's not, I'm not there at self-made, I'm God-made. Because, you know, um, you know, cause I think working out in fitness could get that vanity look. People are just wanting to look a certain way. And, yeah. and for me, it's much more and it's not, we're not self-made. I think a lot of people think that if they don't realize, you know, God put that gift in you. God allowed yeah. you to be successful. It's almost like in a sense, like I've always, I've always believed this, that there's no such thing as self-made because you can't make yourself without others. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, hey, no matter, no matter how, if you want to start a business, you're going to be mm -hmm. able to make that business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, anything you want success, you're going to be something yeah. else to help you yeah. or invest into that. You know, so I think I understand that self-made comes from a place of saying, Make a decision for yourself, yeah. you know, but also to set other people, mm -hmm. you know, so I get that, you know, now you being a trainer, how long have you been a trainer for? Um, certified for about five years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then, so you've been training people. Is there any like, like 
testimonials that always stood out to you, like that made you proud, like that uh, gave you like a, a whip, another, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Doing this. Yeah. So I have um, um, one client, her name is Jessica. Um, you know, she, she's told me her background, they, they used to call her Cujo back in the day. So she was just a terror. Like she told me she used to beat up guys all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, she's been with me now for probably about two years and, and seeing the turmoil that she's made physically, but now she's striving to be a trainer and help other people and just seeing her continuing to work on herself helping others because she went from being you know fairly oversized to being in shape and just continuing her process and just seeing the change that she has made has been such a blessing to me because it's always one of those one thing you want to help um, train people or mentor people to be better than you and, and if you're able to do that you know that's success right there and, and seeing that she's better than I am that is you know, that's, she's one that sticks out to me the most. And she's actually, now that I'm not training these next two months, um, she's actually covering for me in some of my damn classes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's tight, dude. And, and, and I love how, is you're the second person that we bring on here, um, that talks a little bit about that, that aspect about fitness and, 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 and I love the way that you guys bring it out and envision people in that that it's much more than just the vanity phase. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people think that, you know, that they, it's only about the looks, mm -hmm. you know, but a lot of people don't realize, and we even touched on the, the other episode a little bit, where it's much more than that. People, man, are, are battling with self-esteem issues, mm -hmm. depression, anxiety, um, gym anxiety. People are battling with all these different things, rejection. And um, and it, it's amazing what the what the gym is able to do yeah. with the right coaching, with the right mentor, with the right trainer. And I think we need more people like that in the yeah. industry. Yeah. And, you know, also with all the medical conditions. And so it's almost like, you know, how people say bartenders or uh, barbers are kind of like mm -hmm. counselors and therapists. Yeah. It's like <laughs> trainers are in that in that league as well. Yeah, definitely. Because they come with our, their problems and it's just a way for them to release it. And, and the gym and lifting weights is a way for that release mm -hmm. and, and have somebody to listen and just talk to them. Well, it's like we're living in a society where um, we, before we got on air and you said like how, how middle school and, and somebody's age groups are taking my suicide. It's become like normal. Uh, there was a shooting that's, that's not on the news anymore. And society has really changed. And, um, and I think men and women that don't open up, we need to wake up and we need to like, we need to realize that we do need to, we need to say something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of times for guys, there's always like the guys don't open up because, you know, look, if I open up, if like, it's just at the end of the day, it's my problem, it's not yours. And I think that's the biggest lie. Yeah. You know, um, this morning, you know, like I, I, I know that, you know, I was with my wife and I, I kind of just woke up on a funk. But like, I think it's all about just saying, okay, I need to communicate where I'm at. I need to say, and sometimes it's hard to find a word. Yeah. But I think if anybody, not just guys, but girls, anyone, just give it a, a safe space mm -hmm. and just say unfiltered words, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to hear you. Um, I don't, I'm not going to hear attacks. I'm not going to hear anything. I'm just going to say it. She gave me this, this space to talk. And I think that's what we need. We just need space to talk. Mm -hmm. No judgments, um, no answers, no solution. Yeah, um, just 
I think what it comes down to is I see you and I hear you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what our society needs more. We young people need to be seen and heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And how? You know, yeah. and I think um, that's I think what that one of the reasons why we wanted to have like authentic conversations mm-hmm. like this. Yeah, it's just like we all have a story. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. and it's just crazy. Yeah, and talking about stories, man. Um, one of the things that really attracted you know attracted me to 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 your lifestyle, man, was of course you know being in the gym, mm-hmm. you know watching you train right there and everything. Um, you know, it's been awesome the time that I've been getting to know you. And, uh, but one of the things that really impacted me was when I heard for the first time your testimony, man. Um, let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, in, let me see where do I want to start it because, all right, we'll start it this way. I got saved in October of 2013. Okay. All right. And then, uh, February of 2014, I ended up getting diagnosed with stage three testicular cancer. Okay. Um, and as soon as they seen it, I got put into surgery right away, removed the testicle and started chemo pretty much like a couple of days after. Wow. So, um, started it, my chemo treatment, my chemo treatment was six weeks as a cycle. I mean, six cycles, each cycle was three weeks. My first week, um, Monday through Friday, getting chemo eight hours a day. The next Whoa. two weeks. That's after a lot. Yeah. I was getting um, Monday through Friday, five different chemo drugs. And then the next two weeks on Monday is I was getting three other chemo drugs for three hours. Wow. Yeah. So this intense chemo ended up um, shutting down my immune system. It went down, ended up getting a, a meningitis. And so meningitis. Uh, Talk a little bit. I know a lot of people might not know what that is. Yeah. So there's different forms of meningitis. Mine was a fungal meningitis and it, it actually attacked my brain and my cerebral fluid. So... Um, so when I found out I had meningitis, there's, like I said, there's so many different ones. There's people that get meningitis, they have to get legs chopped off or and amputated and, you know, end up in the hospital and just all kinds of different. Meningitis is bad. Okay. And uh, a lot of that hurt or? Um, it doesn't hurt. What hurt was all the fluid that I had in my brain. So, okay. yes. Well, all right. So once I found out I had meningitis, I got put into ICU for eight weeks because I had before I went into the uh, emergency, I was having these bad headaches. I couldn't look at the light. I needed everything dark. I just felt like in so much pain, I was curled up. And I just thought it was a headache because I was trying to, you know, research. And they said, you know, doing chemo, you'll have headaches. So I just kept saying, oh, it's just chemo. It's just chemo. It'll be fine. And it got to a point where I was getting in the shower and I, I fell over in the shower. They picked me up and um, I was trying to look into different ways, like how can I relieve this headache? And I got it, I seen um, acupuncture. Cool, okay. And um, I was like, well, you know what? Let me try this. After I passed out, my dad was like, I need to take you to emergency. I was like, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. Just let's go try this acupuncture. And um, as I got into the car, we started driving. I told him the directions, the address. And so he's driving, I couldn't look at the sun. I had to keep my eyes closed. And uh, through the directions, it led to nowhere basically. And he was like, where is this place? I was like, I don't know. You have the address. He was like, there's nothing here. And he was like, I'm taking you to the ER. And I was like, by this time, I was like, all right. Um, so we get to the emergency room. I have a seizure. And they um, they were like, man, we need to do something. So they started doing spinal taps to relieve the fluid in my head. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a spinal tap. It's 
They have this long needles. Yeah. And it's scary. Right. And so uh, when they did it, the fluid, if there wouldn't have been on top on the, the little gauge thing, they said it would have hit the roof. I had so much pressure. And so for the eight weeks, um, we, I did 20-some spinal taps. I was doing a couple a day. But also during this... Just day, draining the fluid. Just draining the fluid. Because I had so much hair, I couldn't see, I couldn't talk. My words were coming out slurred because there was so much pressure on my brain. And so during this eight weeks of me being in ICU, of course, I couldn't be on chemo treatment because they needed to take care of the meningitis before the cancer. And so my oncologist said, you know what, we're just going to have to monitor you to see where you're at. And so eight weeks, uh, finally was able to go home. My oncologist said, um, you know, come back in three weeks. We'll check your numbers just to see what's going on. And uh, as I get there after three weeks, I go into her office. The first thing she says, she's an Indian lady. She goes, you know, God's with you. And I just smile. I go, what? I go, what do you mean? She goes, your cancer numbers have dropped. She was like, so we'll just keep monitoring, see how it's going. She was like, you know, do what you have to do with the meningitis. So I go back in three weeks. She goes, they dropped even more. She goes, come back in three weeks. I go, okay. I come back in three weeks. She sits me down. She goes, I've talked to colleagues. I've talked to other people in the hospital. She goes, I don't understand, but your cancer is not there anymore. Yeah. What? Yeah. And so I just started crying because I knew right there, you know, Jeez. and me being a new believer at the time, Oh. Well, yeah, because you, you had just I got just, saved in 2013. January. February. February. Saved October. October of 2013. where I got diagnosed. So you're talking one, two, three, four. So four months after being saved, brand new believer. Brand new believer. You never, you never before had stepped into I church guess, or anything you know, like I, that? I say I was pretty much an atheist. Like I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. But um, yeah, and, it, and God really showed up because in that time of eight weeks, um, you know, I was sitting there in my bed by myself sometimes and, and just thoughts would come. And those thoughts of suicide, like I just looked at some of these wires and like, I could just end this right now. Like I was just that tired. I was in that much pain. My head was hurting multiple lumbar punctures every day. And um, it wasn't until um, my wife had given me a Bible to keep in there. And it would, I would just open it up and flip and point in a verse and it'd be a verse that spoke to me. Or I'd turn on the TV and it'd be the Christian channel and it would directly talking to me. And that's where I was like, all right, I could get through this. It may not be on me. I need someone to lean on. And that's where I, I really truly felt God was with me in that he was like, don't worry, I got you. Wow. You know what, man? I mean, that is, that is, that's, that's a dope. That's like, that's amazing. You know, but what I do is I, okay, we're supposed to like give my life to Lord and, you know, I want to follow Jesus. And I always truly believe that God always wants a person to introduce himself as God the Father. Mm -hmm. And like, like a father saying, I'm going to take care of man. And even, even when it seems impossible, I'm going to, and it's like, I, I just keep saying God the Father. Yep. And when you didn't have a dad, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's, please. Yeah, that's just so dope. That's like, man, that's like so encouraging. Yeah. Know? Like, that's so dope. Yeah. And that's realizing now that, you know, we all have, if we may not have a physical father, but we have a spiritual father yeah, and he's yeah. going to be there and take care of us even better. But, um, yeah, so it was those times you just having those times of just wanting to commit suicide and, and just be done with it. Yeah, and, man. um, you know, hearing that when they said there's no cancer, I just started crying. I knew God still performs miracles. I'm yeah. he's working in a miracle in somebody like me. And I, and I love how you bring out that story because the thing is that you're bringing it out in a way 
that's relatable. Right. You know, I think a lot of people go through hardships and 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 I know that it's not done on purpose, but I think that sometimes, you know, as as believers, when we see people go through hardships, we we could be very bad at kind of identifying what they're going through, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, but what you're saying is what a lot of people go through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like why? Mm-hmm. You know, why is this happening? Like I should just end this right now. You know, all these different things, you know, like your faith, I'm sure was wavering. Mm-hmm. You know, it was probably like, man, you know, like why did you know, did this happen because I gave my life to Christ? You know, and 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 I think a lot more a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. A lot of people can relate to that because sometimes we're like, sometimes we're taught that, no, if you go through hardships, just, just suck it up, Mm. just suck it up and just, you know, take it in, you know, God is just, God is trying to teach you a lesson or whatever, but we don't realize that people go through pain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times people think just because they're a believer that everything's going to be smooth and peachy, but also God allows this to happen because he needs us to grow. Because without resistance, we can't grow. Just like being in the gym, if you're not lifting weights, you're not going to grow. And so there needs to be that resistance. There needs We need to go through trials and tribulations, not to lean on our own understanding or or our own accord, mm-hmm. but to lean on him and, and have him get us through it. So, yeah, let's, let, let's stay there for a second. Mm-hmm. I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, like thinking about how sometimes um, today... We live in a society, technology has comforted us in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have social media, we have our cars are more tech, you know, all this technology that's just being developed in all the areas of our line, health, all this stuff. And I think it's good because um, it's helpful, but also it does create a, a new philosophy in our society where we kind of discourage the suffering. Mm-hmm. And the Bible talks a lot about suffering because that's the reality of life. We all have to suffer. We lived, we suffer, we died. And then you know, like there's the cycle. And I think one of the things here is that we, I believe that we should embrace and mm-hmm. take that suffering and learn what, what I think there's a, there's a lack of message out there saying, what are you made of? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and I think we need to put this to the test. Like, is it me that I can overcome or is it the strength of God that helps me? Because there are yeah. some things in my life that I could not do it. Like, mm-hmm. just, it has some yeah. really hard years. And like, I don't know how I'm doing it. And if like, and then I start to realize, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I know how I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. God is literally carrying me into fear by his grace. I need to give that glory mm-hmm. in this time of suffering is, and I think we need to talk about that. We live in a society that it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah. It's okay to, it's okay to suffer. And I think we're in a society too, that's going away from God. So they don't want to go through sufferings because they can't handle it and they don't want to go through it. But it's, it's, I think us as believers, we need to bring that poor and be like, yeah. Or they related to. Or it can be related to like, oh, I'm suffering, then that means God is bad. Yeah. You know, but not realizing that, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, God is in, in, God is sovereign and God is in complete control. But the thing is that we are still left to our own will. Mm-hmm. You know, we still make our own decisions. And and there are certain things that, you know, God is not going to, you know, we, we, we sometimes think that that God is going to micromanage our entire life, right? 
and that if he micromanages our entire life, then that means that anything that happens to us, it's because of God. Yeah. And that's not true, you know, because it's like, for example, let's just take something simple as like, hey, you know, if your body is unhealthy, well, you know, is it God's fault or your decision? Were it was it our decisions? Yeah. You know, we decided to put that Big Mac. Man, I just had a Big Mac last night too. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like we decided to put that in our body. We decided to put different things, you yeah. know. And it's not to say that there are things that happen in our life that are completely outside of our control, you know. But bringing tying in together what you guys are saying is that you know sometimes you know we live in that society nowadays where it's like, well, no, no, like I'd rather take full control than to allow anything and, and the little, as little as possible I can suffer, the better, and, you know what I mean? But not knowing that suffering does produce, you know, it, it does produce, it, and it does produce character. Yeah. And, and I'm gonna go as far as to say that it also produces certain emotions that we need to be better humans. Yeah. To mature. To yeah. mature, to, you know, how am I gonna be able to sympathize with people mm -hmm. if I never learn suffering? How am I gonna be able to understand people if I never learn how to go through these things? Now, and, um, you know, so I agree 100% with that, you know? Uh, I, for you, you going through like that, that, that's, <laughs> that's heavy. That's heavy. Go through that chemo, go through that, all the, like, endometritis. What, what did you learn out of that? Like what, what, how did that shape you who you are today? Yeah. So, um, so just even finishing up the yeah. meningitis thing. Um, so after being at ICU and all this other stuff and then seeing God perform miracles, I still had two more years of fighting. I had five more hospital stays where every time they told me I wasn't going to make it. And every time I left, they would go, we don't understand how you come in the way you do and you leave fight. Uh, five surgeries, including a minor brain surgery to put a VP shut in my head. Um, two seizures, 54 total spinal taps. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. So it was a, it was a two year fight. And this whole time I had to lean on God to get me through it because it was up and down, up and down, you know, that, that strong faith to, man, I'm done with this. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. But just having people around me, having my wife praying for me and, and just continue to stand in the gap for me when I wasn't able to, yeah. and just going through this. And I realized, you know, God allowed me to go through this because it was a plan and a purpose and he needed to strengthen me to get me to where I needed to be next. Um, and, and just even before all this, so like how I said, I, I probably was considered an atheist, you know, all the way up until I became a believer. So I've had a lot of other different things where back then I just thought I was lucky. So when I was born, I had cataracts in my eye. My eyes would bleed. I had to do surgery. When I was uh, four years old, I had a disease called Kawasaki's disease. All right. How old was that? Yeah. So Kawasaki's disease is, um, it's in toddlers and it affects your heart, um, your blood. And at the time when I was diagnosed, it was still kind of rare. And so um, I was having high fevers and my mom kept taking me to the hospital. Like my son has a fever. They're like, just give him medicine. He'll be okay. Well, with Kawasaki's, if you don't catch it within the first 10 days, more than likely the toddler could pass. And so it was right around the 10th, 11th day when my mom took me back and the, the doctor kept telling her like, no, it'll break. It'll break. There was a med student who was standing there overheard the conversation said, Hey, we just learned about something called Kawasaki's disease. Maybe you should test for that. So they tested that. So they found out what it was. And for the next six months, I was in the hospital. My skin was peeling all over. I was having heart issues. 
my eyes were bloodshot. And then uh, when I was six years old, um, during the holidays, I was going down an escalator. A lady was in a rush, pushed me down. I got stuck in the escalator, ripped off my kneecap. Yeah. So as I'm going, the escalator is ripping at my knee. My mom pushed the emergency stop button. It's not stopping. And so she had to yank me out. So she yanks me out, kneecaps hanging, blood everywhere. Wow. Yeah. And they get me to the hospital and the doctor goes, if you would have pulled any harder, softer up, down, left, right, we would have had to amputate his leg. And so while I was getting fixed with that, my leg was in a cast, almost got gangrene. Yeah. And then when I was, and out, then, and then oh, that's what I'm This is how good God is. This is how good God is. And then when I was about 12, I was in La Puente at my dad's family's house. And right up the street, there was a house um, that was had fireworks. And we go over there, check it out. Well, as soon as I step off the curb, there was a drive-by in the house, shot three people. Yeah. And so, so for me, once I became a believer, I know now it was God that had me this entire time. But he said, son, I've got you now. I got one more thing I got to let you go through to get you where I need you to be to do my work and to glorify me. And so I know that he had me this whole time. There was a plan and a purpose. I just didn't know because, you know, I didn't have nothing to do with God. Yeah. But that just shows that God's with us all, no matter who you are, what you're doing, he's just waiting on the sideline for you to call upon him. Yeah. And it wasn't until I called his name, he said, all right, you're going to go through one more test, but this is going to be one of the hardest tests that you're ever going to go through. So I almost kind of related to Job, you know, where um, even the Satan talked to God and said, God told him, hey, you know my son Job? He said, you could touch him, but you're not going to kill him. So he allowed the devil to do all that to Job, take away everything. But then he was blessed. That's so crazy because you're like, it's the beginning of the, the conversation we're having. You're like, I grew up just not trusting anybody. I'm suspicious of everything. And then like God's like, if, if that's true, Ruben, and he says, dad, go test my son. He trusts me. Mm -hmm. And that's all based on trusting me and move it. And you'll lose it all. Mm -hmm. And like the words, it kind of like redeem you mm -hmm. and your trust. And I'm like, fuck, oh, that's, that's, that's yeah. a heavy story. Wow. And that's why, yeah, that's why it attracted me so much, man. Because it was like, when I, when the, the first time I heard, you know, and it wasn't, you know, it was kind of just like a short summary, but then I remember a video had come out and I was just like, wow, dude, like it, it brought me to tears, bro. Like it really did. Even right now, like I'm holding yeah, back, yeah. I'm holding back yeah. because, because man, dude, it's, it, and let me ask you, man, is that where humble beast came from? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, after going through all this, cause it makes so much sense. Yeah. Cause I, I've always been into fitness, like I said, but before I was using it for that vanity because of that self-doubt and self-esteem, I wanted to be big so people could look at me and look at me. So yeah. I wanted to use it as a vanity. But going through all this, I believe God said, no, this is a gift I gave you to go out and help other people. Mm. And so I was working at another gym for a while and they ended up letting me go during COVID. And I was kind of upset because I loved the gym. I loved the community. I loved it. But I believe God allowed that to happen for me to start Humble Beast and to, to use faith and fitness together to plant seeds and to share the gospel and to share my testimony. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's how Humble Beast was come about. Share the meaning of it. Because when I, after I, I, I want you to share like the meaning behind it, because when I heard the meaning behind it, it became so much more. That's why like, you know, I, I, I support your merch, bro. A hundred percent. It's an HB and SC, Humble Beast Fitness Company. And then 
body is the temple. So this shirt is actually like the ACDC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they had a back in black tour. So I wanted to flip it to be a more um, Christian based. So Humble Beast Fitness County, body is the temple. And then on the scripture, the back is 2 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Okay. And so, so that's what that one is from. But yeah, so Humble Beast was birthed and it actually kind of started at the other gym I was at because I had a group of people I was uh, doing personal training with. And I just wanted to do something extra and just buy them a shirt. But I was like, you know what? This Humble Beast kept being on my heart, on my heart. I had seen uh, uh, the name other places. And I was like, man, this is perfect for the gym. Because now instead of using it for bad indie, it says, no, we need more humble lifters. We need people in the gym that are going to be humble, but also be a, be a beast about it. And humble beast to me is Jesus. Yeah. So he was the most humble person out yeah. there, but he was a beast at what he did. He was a beast yeah. at Prius mode, test yeah. and for miracles. And so humble beast is just basically another word for Jesus. And I just wanted to use that in, fit, in fitness because it's like, you know, we're, we're doing this to make our bodies better, but we don't need it to glorify ourselves. We need it to glorify God, but also to be a beast at it, beast at it. Whatever you're doing, whatever job you're at, whatever yeah. you're doing, be humble at it. Give God all the glory, but be a beast at it. Give it 120 hundred and yeah. everything you do. But also remember, you got to glorify God in your life. Yeah. And I and and I and I've seen you do that, man. And I like like I said, man. I I watch you at the gym. I watch you train other people, man. And 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 the your work ethic at it. You know your work ethic at it. The way you work people. And then you also, man. You just got done doing a competition. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was another thing I wanted to do because I had done one a couple of years ago, but I just really wanted to do it now, um, just to show people like what I've gone through, and then to what I could do. It just shows anybody you could go through anything, any trial or tribulation, but you could take it to a whole nother uh, level. And so, you know, I started training for this competition, you know, um, working my butt off. And and, and at, at the age of what? 40. 41. Yeah. That's oh, right. Yeah. So um, it was a, it was a blessing. And once again, it was just be able to use it. You know, like, look it, I was pretty much on my deathbed, but God let me live to now build up my body because our body is the temple yeah. and i think a lot of people don't realize that that this is just a, a vessel on loan to us on use and and just to be able to take care of it like we would any other gift that somebody else would give us um and so i just wanted to take it to another level and just and just show people hey you know where i was at this is where i'm at now and it, it is a blessing and that's what's so beautiful about your story bro because everything that you've been sharing right now it's like you have had experience after experience of attacks on your body. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy is that all these things have been coming to attack mm-hmm. your body, your physical body, your physical form. But then how you've been able to use your faith to strengthen you, to strengthen your relationship with God, and then turn around and say, man, you know what? Uh, the very thing that was being attacked, you know, is the very thing that I'm going to mm-hmm. use to glorify him. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. And so now it's just being able to share faith and fitness with yeah. my clients and everything, you know, not all of them are believers, but yeah. they all rock my gear. And it's just a way to spread that seed to yeah. them. And as they're rocking it, it's going to plant seeds on other people. Cause yeah. And ask, what is that? What is it? Yeah. And even though they may not be a believer, they know me and my beliefs. And so they're able to share it and they're sharing the gospel and not even knowing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so true, man. It's true. Yeah, I'm talking um, well, you, you might say like early is about like self-made and all that. Right? I mean, um, but like for your dad now, 
Um, do you have a group of people that you that that like you have a community in your life? What, what like how do you do? Like how do you who like you have like accountability? Where's your bro? How did that work for you in your personal life? Um, in my personal life, as far as like a group, uh, just the church. Okay. Um, you know, other brothers and sisters within the church. Um, I go to a local church here in San Bernardino, and and since I've been attending there, um, it's I've seen so much growth. And now having that accountability and and working with one of the pastors, it holds me accountable to right, cool. to be at a higher standard. You know, to not to let myself uh, do things of these worlds. So that right there is accountability and and just walking as holy as I can, even though we're going to sin every day. Yeah. But just knowing that we have a God that's forgiving and yeah. just be able to repent and just to be able to show others and, and continue that walk to to be that light in people at the gym and my clients now. And, and, and just to bring that faith and fitness together. Because like I was saying, the same way we have to work in our faith. We have to work in our fitness. Yeah. We have to eat of the word of God, the good food, just like we have to eat good food for our bodies. Uh, it sounds like he's trying to bring it together. Yeah, that was it. It sounded like you have a good community that's really building you up and keeping you accountable. I think that's always been part of the components to success. Mm-hmm. It, when you see what's ahead of you in your life, right? And having people that can speak and say yes and no to you, mm-hmm. or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, let's play about that. And I think that's, I think we need more of that um, in our lives. I think so many times, again, we live in a society that, um, I got it, mm-hmm. I got it. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And it's like, it's the opposite of humble beast. And the opposite of humble beast is pride, right? Mm-hmm. And so many times we kind of get a little prideful because we're, we take a lot of pride in our skill. We take a lot of pride in our decision. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that kind of creates like just you. And, yeah, and it kind of separates you from the pack. And, yeah, you kind of like, and humility kind of brings that unity. Yeah. And like, and then it didn't let have that agreement to see, like, okay, I, I agreed. Okay. It didn't, yeah, as beautiful. Yeah. It invites, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. it invites others. Like, it, it, it invites others to, it you know, to, to speak into our life, you know, and, and it's funny. I, I was talking to, to somebody about this the other day and I was like, it, it's so funny that, you know, it's, it's, um, not all the time, but it's looked down, you know, as, as believers, it's looked down, um, to say, man, you know what? I have a community that I'm accountable to, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times people can take that our friends, family, but man, why are you so committed to that? Why are you so accountable to that? Like, it's, it's almost like they're controlling your life. You know, mm-hmm. people can kind of take that, take from the outside looking in, but what I, What's funny is that, like, you know, I, I follow a lot of entrepreneurs and different people. What's funny is that, you know, it's becoming a thing, even in the secular, you know, it's becoming a thing where successful business owners understand and are starting to understand even more that, you know what, I need coaching. Right. I need mentorship. I need a community of other like-minded people and other like-minded individuals, because if I'm going to get ahead of this, if I'm going to push this forward, if I'm going to, you know, make this business happen, you know, I, I can't do it by myself. And I, and I was telling this person, I'm like, it's no different, you know, it's no different, you know, as a, as a Christian community, we need people we need a community. We need that accountability because we're living a life that, you know, we don't have it figured out. You know, we lived on our own for so many years, many of us for years, 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 we lived our own way. You know, we had our own formula. We had our own methods. You know, we, we, we did things our way. 
So now it's so important for us to be willing to to um, to accept the help, yeah. to say, man, I need community. I need to be part of this. Nobody's forcing me to do this. Nobody is forcing me to talk. Nobody's asking me to or forcing me to ask permission. It, it's not about that. It's about me taking you know my life and saying, God, here's my life. But at the same time, I'm going to invite other like-minded people so that, like you said, because man, I want that success. Yeah. Yeah. All coaches have a coach. All trainers have a trainer. All pastors have a pastor that's leading them and and guiding them. And ultimately our lead mentor is Jesus and just trying to live as he did. Yeah. But just knowing that we have to drop that pride and ask for help. And I think especially with men, it's, it's hard to drop that. It's tough. (laughs) Well, you, uh, after talking are all about this, so you're not doing life alone and not doing this thing. Um, well, how is it now with your family? I guess where is the family? Like, yeah. So, um, are you still close to your personal family or close to your wife's family? Or uh, what is that? Yeah. So I'm close with both of our families. Um, you know, on my side, a lot of them still aren't saved. Okay. And, and, you know, it's going to take a while and everything, even though they see miracles and they see all this, but, um, yeah, we still have a great relationship. Uh, it's not, on my side with my mom and my brothers, it's not as great as I would like it to be, um, especially with my little brothers, just because they're 11 and 14 years younger than I am. And so when I was in the military and I was gone, I didn't have that bond with them. Okay. And so, um, and then, you know, just life happens and being so busy, it's just hard to make that time. I mean, it's not hard. It's just making the time. Okay. To do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, of course, it could be better. And then my, my wife's family, um, you know, they've been such a support, uh, through everything and, and they're all believers. So having a, that godly family to see what it is meant to be, yeah. you know, cause me and my family, we didn't have that growing up. Yeah. Like, you know, if we went to church, it was on Easter and then, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, uh, uh, so what's your relationship? How is your relationship with your mom? It's, um, it's okay. It's, it, it could be better. Because um, her going through a divorce with my father, you know, there's that, whose side are you picking? Like, I can't, I can't do anything over here because then it's like, oh, you're going against me. Yeah. Is that the dream? Like, yeah, man, I don't even want to, I don't want to go over here because I don't want you to feel like I'm on your side and yeah. I can't go over here. So it, it kind of puts a string on it and it could be better. And it's just like, sometimes when I go over there, it could be like, oh, you know, this is going on with me and I, that, that almost victim mentality and it's just like, it's hard to be there. And then yeah. just always hearing. And so did your mom bring Mary or? So, so my mom, um, after she, after my dad left, you know, she had boyfriends and stuff coming through. And then my stepfather came in my life when I was eight years old. And at that time, you know, I was, didn't want him around, you know, I didn't call him dad and, you know, him trying to, he was only 22 at the time. He's only 14 years older than Moon. And so being 22 years old, trying to take on an eight-year-old kid and trying to do the best you can, it, to me, it was like, you're not my dad. Why are you telling me that you're strict and all this other stuff? <laughs> and so being in high school, he was that way. I used to be like, man, I don't like him. He's just so strict. <laughs> and it took a couple of years for me to realize he was just trying to keep me out of trouble yeah. because he didn't want me to get involved in gangs and all this other stuff. Yeah. And so now, like, I didn't call him dad for the longest. I called him Lou by his name. And uh, it wasn't until recently, like, I started calling him, like, Pops, Dad, and, and just having that really good relationship with him. And, um, you know, it's awesome. And what's crazy now, he remarried. I have a 41-year 
old younger brother okay he just had a baby <laughs> oh, dude, that's like that's like my dad bro like <laughs> bro you're t- you're talking a lot about this and it'll be like man it's like it's like my life story bro like my dad too man he's like my dad's 50 years old and and he has a a, a son that's my daughter's age <laughs> yeah and then he has a, a, a I have a little sister that's younger than my son than judah <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so like dude it's super weird so pretty and, and it's weird how that happened because when he came into my life um i was around eight years old yeah and they had my brother when i was around 11 yeah. and so with his new wife kind of the same thing he got into their life when her son was about eight he's 11 or 12 and they just had a baby so it's kind of like i told him i was like bro you're gonna if you're gonna keep this going you're gonna have another kid when you're 70 years old yeah. <laughs> wow but that's cool. I saw it's down like and then it's down to your mom and your stepfather the day they got divorced. She got divorced. And so then now that's what she's dealing with. Yeah. And it, it, I know it's created a lot of hurt within her. Yeah. And um and it's it's one of those things where that big victim mentality, but it's also, you know, one of those strongholds that could have her in and just try to if when I try to give her advice. She takes it as I'm being harsh or I'm being mean. And so it's kind of hard to get those conversations going yeah. without it erupting or something like that. So it's it's almost kind of put a distance from me going over there. And, and Well, it is interesting because uh, we, we talk a lot about fathers here now, but we don't really talk about mother relationship with our moms, mm-hmm. you know. And like I am I was always close to my dad. And so now when I lost my dad, I'm now like, I, we and my mom are like, okay, it's almost like we're like rediscovering each other and I think as you get older and my mom gets older like the relationship does change the mm-hmm. and I don't know for me like I I'm realizing like I I never this is I hope this doesn't sound bad like like I I love my mom and I, I I'm proud that I was my mom and you know but I never had this desire to take care of my mom mm-hmm. I never like my mom is a, my mom's a manager yeah. all my life she's she's always managing it some pharmaceuticals or, or, you know, she's always, that's, so she's always showed a strong side. My mom's, I've always saw my mom as a, a lioness thing, but now today it's like, oh, like my mom's a mouse and like, I need to take care of her. Yeah. And so like, it, it's been like, it's like God like gave me a new heart as it's like, I'm a big believer that people like women and men, we go through these, these stages in life where you, you discover your masculinity, you start mm-hmm. like, oh, I have a, my voice is changing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, you like this girl, and then you get married, and now you're taking care of this girl, and then you're having a baby, and now you're like freaking out because you have a baby, and then like, as you get older, and it's just like, you get older, and you're having this different life experience. Now I feel like I'm having like this new, profound love for my mom. I want to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I'm like, I want to like, I want him like, even if she doesn't see these little things that I'm doing, that's for her to be, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and I've never felt that before. And I was telling that to my wife, dude, and I'm like, oh man, like, I'm going to do it. I'm like, my mom. No, yeah. Yeah. no, it does. It that really does change with time, man. And, and I think I, I could relate a lot to what you're saying because my parents had gone through a divorce too. I think I was maybe 22, 23 at that time when they finally split and for a long time it was it was very awkward mm-hmm. it was very awkward to be around either one of them because it was always like you know i didn't want to pick sides mm-hmm. you know i was already an adult you know i was already you know i i 
I, I knew that as a person, like it wasn't going to affect me the way that maybe, you know, it affected like my little sister. My little sister, she was like 12 or 13 at that time. So I knew that for her, it was going to be a lot harder. Um, but man, you know, just being around and having those awkward conversations and, and like, should I give advice? Should I not? Like, you know, and my mom, my mom went through it, man, for a long time, bro. For a long time, man. You know, she, she hit rock bottom pretty bad emotionally and everything. And I think, you know, that was when we were talking about when my mom, you know, she had a lot of, um, her depression, anxiety, like really hit her bad. But, um, you know, I, for me, it's been kind of the opposite. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Like it, it's, it's like where distance has been my mom and I's best friend. And mm -hmm. really? Yeah. Yeah. That work, it, that work out for you? It does because my mom actually lived here with us for about two years. Okay. She lived here and, and it was great. Like, you know, she was great, you know, but, but it was kind of like, there was always like, like a little bit of tension, awkwardness, you know, and, but other than that, like it was great, but before that, and even now, you know, the distance I'm, I'm convinced now that distance really is our best friend yeah. because it just, it makes me appreciate her a lot more, you know, where I text her and call her and stuff like that, you know, but, but as far as when we see each other, you know, staying out of our personal lives, mm -hmm. I think that's, that's huge. I think it's not so much the distance. I think it's that, yeah. I think it's like being able to understand and stay out of our personal lives. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's what those people like, of course, yeah. going to always love our mother. Yeah. And, and they did so much for us. Um, like I said, I wish it could be, you know, better. And I'm sure it will get there. It's just right now, it's just kind of like a little strange. Like yeah. you said, sometimes distance is a little bit better right now. Yeah. yeah. We, I mean, I guess it's just a matter of choosing the battles. And yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, can't, no, you can't always win with your mom, yeah. you know, yeah. you can't yeah. win somehow, yeah. you know. And I think for me, it's just, it's just been a changing factor because I've always been like, I'd never really been like super close with my mom. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to bull, but like, it's just now it's changing. I'm like, oh, yeah. I want to take care of her. And I, and that's like, I'm, I'm discovering that. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I'm learning. So. That's awesome. And just getting older, you realize. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a bit of wisdom there, you know. And so, but yeah, man, I mean, I, I appreciate your story. And, and it really, you really touched my heart. I, I'm, I'm yeah. glad to be able to have this. Yeah, and, and I appreciate you guys having me. And it's one of those things, like, everybody has a testimony. And sometimes people are share, uh, ashamed or nervous to share it. But yeah, I always say our testimony could be the key to unlock someone else's prison. Yeah. Yeah. Because we never know what people are going through. And, you know, the, the people's testimony may not be cancer or meningitis. It may be something else. But right. You never know what your testimony could do to help somebody else. Yeah, exactly. And and that's why the, this form of, of sharing is is. I, I believe personally has been so powerful in my life, Yeah, you know, because, you know, we can talk about like the hard stuff that we go through, but when we get into the deep things about our emotional, like what we went through emotionally, what, what, what we felt while going through those things or the things that we've learned coming out of those things, I feel they're so much more powerful because at the end of the day, we're still emotional beings, yeah. you know, and, and maybe we can't relate to, you know, a certain, the exact experience, but I believe we can all relate to the emotions yeah. that we feel sometimes, man. So humble beast, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Room thank, you for a, thank you for your service, bro. And um, he's a uh, check out his t-shirt, humble beast lifting club. Um, right here, the t-shirt that I have. And uh, 
I know he's got other merch too. Um, we're going to drop his, how can they find you on Instagram? So, Humble Beast Fit Co. on Instagram. I do have a website, uh, www.humblebeastfitco.com, but I haven't updated it for about a year. So <laughs> <laughs> I need to get better. I'm still learning computers. Like, yeah. I shouldn't have took computer networking. <laughs> yeah, bad, but I'm going to drop all his links um, below in the description. I'll drop all his links, his Instagram his uh, website and um and and if you're in the area if you're in the area go check him out right there at self-made redlands and uh he's got some awesome awesome things going on there but um thank you guys so much for for all that you guys are for everyone that's tuning in man thank you guys so much i hope this story impacts your life um and remember to like subscribe and share it share it share it share it share it with someone with your friends your family because through this, our goal, our vision is to have real authentic conversations and through it that people will be able to know and understand that there is hope. Right, Aaron? That's right. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, it's just it's such a blessing, man, to, to have you up here. And when we do this offbeat, you know, we always want to just have a conversation. Yeah. Just being real. We, we have these questions, but like when it comes down to it, it's just curiosity. Yeah. yeah. What did God do with you? What if, what is life? What have to extend? You know, you said earlier, like we all come relate to emotions and we all have different experience, but it reminds us that we're not alone. Yeah. God has always been with us. God is with us today and tomorrow and forever. And it's just comforting to hear that. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And, and it was a blessing. Thank you for asking me to do this. And um, uh, one more thing is like one of those things, how I said I wanted to be a firefighter when, as a, when I was in high school. Well, I'm actually going to attempt to do that now. Now nice. I'm 41 years old. Yeah. So nice. it's one of those things. If you have a dream, go for it. Even if you are older. So that's why I'm going to be away from the gym for two months. I'm going to EMT starting oh, next week. Oh, oh, and and attempt to yeah. be a, a firefighter, a lifelong dream that I wanted to do. And that's one of those purposes. You just helping people. Man, you're an inspiration, yeah. bro. You really yeah. are. Dude. Even the, yeah. Hopefully I'll be able to do a, a fitness competition soon too, bro. So, all right, man. Well, thank you guys for tuning in, man. Offbeat Podcast. We're out. Oh.